Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you, uh, hope you had a good lunch. And uh, welcome to our session um, around migrating Windows stacks using uh, SQL high availability and uh, DR strategies. Um, so my name is Latin, uh, and um, here you have Scott McDonald. Uh, we both uh, belong to a, a great AWS team called Professional Services. We are the hands-on arm that uh, um, helps uh, you guys, helps our customers and our partners uh, to implement these type of solutions. Um, uh, we uh, both have, I believe, over 20 years of experience each. Um, Scott has been uh, um, working on the massive DR scenarios, uh, I think most of his life, <laughs> as far as he can remember. I've been working on, um, um, on, on many different types of um, uh, Microsoft workloads, um, deployments, and uh, architectures. Um, uh, in my past, uh, I've worked with various teams on that side, and uh, I kind of intensely work uh, on that um, also now with AWS. Um, so what are we going to be talking about is, um, is what we believe to be uh, a best way around uh, uh, performing migrations uh, specifically for um, uh, Microsoft workloads. Now, this also you can apply um, to open source Linux workloads and so on, um, but we will focus on the Microsoft ones, and uh, we do have a demo as well to show you um, on how that works and all that. So, um, idea is to uh, move um, Windows stacks uh, to AWS fairly quickly. Uh, we want to do it with uh, um, the least amount of risk possible um, and uh, and how to utilize a multi-site DR strategy to do so. Uh, we're going to show you a, a live demo of the cross-region uh, SQL Server failover. Um, we're going to go through uh, a deep dive also into the code. We're going to touch a bit on the code of all the things. I, I will, we will show you also where you can get most of the script that we actually use, which is, in fact, um, CloudFormation. So um, since this is a level 400 session, we expect you guys to know something about AWS, <laughs> to know something about Windows too, uh, which would be great. Um, uh, but we will touch on some basics now in the beginning. Um, first thing and foremost, uh, those of you that know us and know us well, we are really uh, we have a very strong DevOps culture. We are um, very much about automation, uh, very much about you know automating every aspect of provisioning, infrastructure, applications, solutions, uh, configuration services, and so on, right? Um, and uh, <laughs> as, as Einstein says over here, if you want a, to run a successful, uh, uh, if you want to run successful on the cloud, you have to automate all your infrastructure. And that's right, it's really um, the, the speed of uh, of, of migrate, or rather of, of deploying your infrastructure, your services and everything, uh, that matters really the most. And this is where you get your agility. This is where you get uh, a way of, uh, of, of actually deploying all the resources um, fairly quickly. Um, it promotes innovation, right? With us, you can you know, use as much of the resources as you need whenever necessary. You can switch it off when you don't need it, and automation makes all this even more cost-effective for you. But what does also uh, automation does, uh, you know, in, on the other side of things? Um, this is going to be a verbatim quote from one of the um, 
tweets that I've seen uh, about a couple of years ago, uh, and it goes, uh, to error is human, uh, but to propagate error automatically to all of your servers is called DevOps, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so that's, that's the flip side of things around uh, that DevOps and full automation can just as well, irrespective of how available and, uh, uh, you know, how um, resilient your architecture is, DevOps can bring you down in a second. <laughs> so it's really important to have the right, uh, you know, the right aspects of automation uh, and, uh, and consider that uh, when automating your infrastructure. So infrastructure as a code. Um, so that, that's effectively at the, at the source of, of it all and the very basic service for us is AWS CloudFormation. Um, that's, uh, um, we use it to build and manage repeatable infrastructure programmatically. Um, it uh, enables us also to reconstruct uh, you know, everything, you know, business from the source code, repo, and backups. Um, however, there are the services that we use that, uh, uh, services such as uh, uh, code deploy, um, code pipeline to orchestrate, um, and uh, code commit or get and other you know, repositories to kind of to store and version all of the stuff that we have. Obviously, we can include things like Jenkins and so on for build and various other um, platforms for test stages and so on. So what does that uh, kind of look like specifically for Windows stack? Um, so the entire Windows stack can effectively be represented by a CloudFormation template. As you know, CloudFormation template has its uh, um, um, uh, properties that you specify, uh, and those properties define effectively what and, uh, and how the CloudFormation will uh, go ahead and deploy things. And the resources being the most important aspect, which actually defines the resources that you're deploying, right? I'm not going to go dive deep too much into how CloudFormation works. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping you guys already know, unless if you don't, you can look up our documentation. Um, but you can effectively, the, the way we do from an operational perspective, that we use uh, uh, version control um, of specific you know, system, like I said earlier on, either um, code commit, git, github. Um, or anything, you know, something similar like that, and then uh, that's where we kind of um, version, uh, um, you know, individual um, uh, templates and any um, uh, any subsequent updates to those uh, specific templates. Um, the the stacks are usually we usually separate those into specific layers, like a networking layer, um, a security layer, uh, and so on. Um, you don't necessarily really want to kind of include everything in the stack, um, and uh, you want to kind of separate those out. Specifically, if um, if you have that little um, um, property uh, tick to actually go ahead and uh, um, and roll back all of the things that you provisioned, right? Um, so there's there's that feature also with CloudFormation that you know if if it encounters some sort of an issue or an error it will roll back everything. Now you don't want it to roll back your entire infrastructure. So as such, you want to kind of separate those out and create something we call um, you know use nested stacks and use a master effectively template that executes all of these in sequence. Now CloudFormation is uh, JSON based, as some of you know, and um, um, you, know, you can use YAML. Uh, and um, as such, it, it's explicit, you know, it's schema-based, uh, and as such, you know, basically it's, it's an instruction to our service 
on how we should be provisioning your, um, your infrastructure. Um, and because, you know, it's kind of in its output format is because there's a lot of things that you can use uh, to build it out. There's open source uh, uh, projects like um, 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 Troposphere, you can use Terraformer, there's a lot of others that you can use it to programmatically build it out um, uh, specifically, and I encourage you to look at those. Um, so once through, through uh, automation that uh, individual templates or in entire template stacks get actually, or a number of master templates with uh, stacks get pulled out, um, then they go ahead and based on the properties that you define, and quite simply, that can be dev, test, or prod, you can go ahead and uh, deploy those out um, and uh, into AWS environment. What's great about this, first of all, that you don't have to redo a template for every single environment that you have in there. Second of all, uh, and that you know, uh, the, the, the actual validation uh, with respect to the properties can define how your infrastructure gets deployed. Um, second thing that is great about it is that should you for whatever reason need to provision equivalent environment, and this now forms the basis of the disaster recovery, um, you are not sure whether something is gonna, um, gonna run uh, properly, whether it's gonna, uh, you know, uh, the updates that you're applying, whether they're gonna affect adversely uh, your particular solution, you know, the base, use of, uh, some of you might be familiar with blue-green deployments, where you can actually just deploy just equivalent environment, and then you can cut over uh, your DNS to that environment from one to another if necessary, and so on. Um, and incidentally, this forms, forms part of the most basic of the DR, uh, and pro probably the most relaxed of all the DR strategies, and the cheapest one, which is, you know, based purely on the backup and restore, and then shifting those over to, let's say, AWS or, you know, another location, and then you, uh, or, well, in, in this case, AWS, and uh, using CloudFormation to go ahead and deploy the resources. So, um, so how does it relate to Windows app migrations? Um, well, basically, um, in, in more traditional sense, I don't know, um, maybe our, Experiences may vary, but I will share with you my experience, um, you know, on, on migration specifically with Windows workloads, whether those include um, migrations of uh, SharePoint, of Exchange, uh, Dynamics, uh, uh, of uh, Link, uh, Sky for Business, or anything, you know, uh, and, and all those type of uh, different migrations, is that um, the biggest problem is obviously the downtime that, that you're going to incur to the business. And a lot of these solutions uh, um, specifically, they have their own ways, specific ways uh, on how you migrate them and so on. Um, however, um, it's always a plan that is very one-dimensional in a sense that you have a, a migration plan and you have the run books and the run books go ahead and outline each step that every, everybody needs to make, approximately how much time it's going to take them. Um, and then what is the rollback procedure for every step in that thing, right? And who's responsible for it and who's the second contact and so on. And then there, there's a downtime mitigation. Downtime mitigation usually entails specifically with applications, which is the theme of today's talk, um, you know, switching it over to read only and then, uh, and then, you know, effectively not allowing business to work with it, but allowing them to at least access the data in the meantime and then, uh, and, you know, and then eventually then allowing them to do so. Um, we thought when we started, you know, with building uh, effective DR scenarios for a lot of our customers, um, 
you know, it, it just made, made sense because uh, to, to use those DR scenarios as a case for uh, migrating the workloads as well. So, uh, and that's usually a first step of, for a lot of new customers. They go ahead, they want to use AWS specifically for disaster recovery, um, and, uh, and you know, then they, they want to slowly kind of migrate over, and what that happens is that once they have full-blown uh, you know, uh, hot or warm DR standby, uh, then they, they flip over to, flip the switch over to that one and then they just decommission what they have on this side. What we're gonna show you is that how you can then further, you know, <laughs> flip over uh, to other, other regions and so on. Uh, I had opportunity to do a couple of more sessions early on uh, and in those I discussed uh, some of the, some of the common scenarios also for DR, um, but and some of you might remember, I see some familiar faces. But um, one thing that I talked about is that, uh, um, first of all, with most of the customers, once again, speaking out of experience, they will, you know, if they even had a, a, a decent um, uh, DR solution, um, they, you know, which was either, you know, um, based on the, uh, you know, data center in Akolo or another data center that was, let's say, 10 to 15 miles away, um, and, um, you know, first question that I would ask them is like, okay, well, that sounds great. Uh, how often do you test it? And it's just, we never test it, right? Um, <laughs> and that was, that was a little bit ridiculous. I was like, well, how do you know that it works? And it says, well, um, you know, we, we know it works because it functions and we don't want to test it because we think we're going to break it if we test it. That's like, <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think that's a DR solution then. I think it's just a waste of uh, time and resources, but um, and money as well, right? Um, and uh, so what we do is that we make, uh, um, we make sure, uh, first of all, to put in proper disaster recovery um, uh, scenarios, and you know, depending on the customer's RTO and RPO, um, and I will discuss those uh, in a bit now. Uh, but uh, more importantly, um, we, um, we have worked with our customers, we are partners on building a lot of projects, as some of you may, may be aware. Uh, something like um, um, what we've built with, uh, uh, what basically Netflix built in collaboration with us um, is uh, Chaos Monkey and the Simian Army. And that's, that's a great uh, tool to use to go ahead and simulate downtime scenarios and test out these type of uh, DR scenarios. Um, so how many of you are aware of Chaos Monkey? Ah, everybody, excellent. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's really great. And you know, Simeon Army has everything, everything from you know, Gorilla that shuts down different regions and so on, and you know, down to um, you know, Monkey shutting down the instances and Janitor Monkey and so on, right? Um, so what's great about it, once we actually build that out, um, once we build out a DR scenario in AWS, and once we actually have that, even like I said, if it's more, most rudimentary aspects such as using, um, um, uh, using CloudFormation, and, and by the way, the CloudFormation, once you actually automate uh, you know, the, the deployment of your, um, of your infrastructure, um, I guess what? The question is not anymore how fast can I actually deploy my entire infrastructure. The question is how fast can I copy the data over, right? And that's really where it gets to. Um, and even in that, you know, in that sense, like once you, once we do that, once we do the first DR, you know, the, the, the potential of migrating you to any other places and so on is a lot easier and a lot faster, right? It's really just another click of a button and so on. Um, and um, um, uh, another aspect to, um, 
uh, consider um, with, um, well, uh, specifically with the, uh, with the workloads and all that, that's, um, sometimes you have the resistance uh, specifically from users um, around uh, uh, my, you know, migration and so on. Uh, I think you know, easing it into as, as a first step to be a DR instead uh, and, then, and then kind of cutting over later, uh, it might be an easier way to introduce uh, migration and to kind of do change management from an organizational perspective. <clears throat> so, multi-site DR migration framework, so yeah. So what we're going to uh, show you specifically, we're going to show you a DR scenario between, um, between two regions, um, specifically the US West 2 region and the US East 1. Um, and um, what we have, um, and I'll show you basically the setup that we have and what we're using. Um, but um, we're going to replicate the uh, database on backhand. Um, we're going to duplicate the application um, stack on front. What that really means is that um, effectively we have always an availability group that is going to be um, with, with entire um, um, WSFC cluster uh, span across two, um, uh, two different regions um, over a VPN that we configure through OpenVPN, and I'll get more into it. Um, and, um, uh, and, and we're basically going to have um, uh, two servers running, um, well, basically two always on availability nodes running uh, in, uh, in region A uh, in this case and uh, another two in region B, which will be all in the, you know, effectively um, all together four nodes. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, second bit would be just replicating the actual application stack, which can be any .NET application, which could be your SharePoint uh, uh, Dynamics application uh, and so on. And then um, you can do it where you know uh, you kind of strip it down to the the, the, the bare minimum um, of uh, what it needs to run, uh, and then use our auto scaling uh, service and uh, launch configuration to bring up uh, you know once you flip over to bring about uh, the, uh, the the additional instances or the additional um, you know web front ends and things that you've stopped already or whatever the case is that are dormant and waiting to be to come back up. Um, so um, what we suggest is to uh, uh, fail over tra traffic in small increments and test repeatedly to iron out any issues. So I know this sounds very simplistic when I say it the first time, but there could be other issues. And um, what I found being a, um, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I, f <laughs> I found working with Microsoft Stack in general to be a little bit more difficult than the open source stack and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of protocols. There's a lot of automation that they do on their side that you need to consider, right? The way they actually handle certain protocols, the way they handle, uh, you know, what ports they need and so on and what works better and what doesn't. And I'll discuss some of those. We, we have come across all these issues uh, when we built this uh, specific solution. Um, and then once you're ready, you just completely fail over to AWS, like I said um, early on. So these are the, the basic, you'll find this in our documentation. You'll find this, uh, you know, literally anywhere. Um, these are, uh, this is how we kind of um, um, separate the different disasters, uh, recovery scenarios, um, backup and restore, pilot light, which is basically your uh, most common denominator plus, you know, the data replication between um, backup and restore already discussed, and then warm standby and really the multi-site one, 
Um, and multi-site and warm standby can kind of work hand in hand uh, with respect to that. Um, so uh, there's once, once you establish a DR model, um, what really, uh, and, and you get it up and running and stuff, which we will do for you just now, um, you, all you really need to do is just tell your um, uh, ops team to go ahead and either switch over your Route 53 uh, to uh, the applications on this side or uh, um, force a health check uh, to actually go ahead and flip over uh, to, the, to the AWS deployment uh, or AWS hot standby. Um, so um, we, if you're working with stateful applications, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, there, there are some issues around, you know, how, you know, if you want to do something like a latency-based routing between the applications, but if, you, if you're working with stateless, it's very easy, right? You don't have to worry about the state, right? So you can just um, uh, send depending on where they go um, and, and so on. What's great about when you do it on, um, on um, multi-region level is that if, you, if you're expanding, um, and this is the reason as well for a lot of our customers migrating uh, you know, um, on, on multi-region side of things, is that if they're expanding globally and they want to expand their application footprint in AWS globally, this is where they start establishing the same DR scenarios via VPN, the way we're gonna show you now, and on and on and on, and they, they keep on cutting it over. And then you can, you know, in most cases for stateless applications, they use latency-based routing. So people from East Coast will, you know, the Route 53 will send it this way instead of sending it to the West Coast and so on. Um, so yeah, so this just becomes effectively a DR exercise. And guess what? Because you've, been, uh, you've actually implemented a proper DR strategy, and because you are often testing your DR, and because you just ironed out all the issues around migration, and you can just seamlessly shift over to the other one, right? You don't have to go through all this nonsense that we had to go through before when we go and uh, you know, employ more traditional migration strategies. And, and that makes it a lot easier. Um, and, you know, and let me get this straight. I mean, you know, for uh, a, a lot of people might ask, hmm, okay, um, but, uh, you know, do, is this, is this equivalent to my DR strategy that I currently had? Do I have to do a, like a multi-region strategy? In most cases, right, your DR strategy was, could have been, or for example, um, uh, you know, where you had a DR, like I said earlier, in a separate data center that was like, let's say 10, 15 miles away. Um, you'll find that just doing a multi-AZ deployment in one region is actually better than that. So because, you know, just to remind you, Every availability zone on our side is a cluster of data centers that is geographically displaced from one another, and they're on a different fault plane with respect to earthquakes or natural disasters, on a different flood plane, and so on, making sure that there's no disaster that can potentially bring down more than one availability zone. And as such, multi-AZ deployment alone is probably equivalent, if not better, than um, you know, previous uh, DR solution that you could have had. I'm not sure, I'm guessing, but this is kind of from, you know, speaking from experience. So, we're gonna jump into the demo. So what do we use for the demo before this thing goes on? We, uh, we use the AWS white paper uh, on uh, multi-AZ SQL Server. You can go ahead and download this. Um, even better, um, we, uh, uh, if you go ahead and search for AWS and Quick Start, and you uh, literally go down, um, you select Microsoft, and we'll show you that shortly, 
and go down to deploy the, um, the SQL stack, um, you will, we will actually have, um, uh, not only will you have access to the CloudFormation for deploying this particular thing, but you will also be able to deploy it in your own account, you know, with a one-click button. This is just a multi-AZ SQL for a deployment. This is not the multi-regional one, which we're going to show you. Um, so we duplicated that model uh, into another region, right? And then uh, we tuned the VPN tunnel and routing between uh, uh, regional VPCs um, via the VPN tunnel between the two regions. And then um, uh, we deployed um, uh, basically DC replicas on the other sides because, you know, as you know, the you know Windows uh, specifically um, uh, enterprise applications are very chatty, and they need <laughs> they need uh, local ADC, uh, DC servers. Uh, and um, um, yeah, we created a, um, a w, uh, Windows Server failover cluster, um, and where we installed um, you know obviously we, um, SQL and uh, uh, configured always on availability groups. So, what does that look like? hope you guys can see, specifically in our setup, uh, is that uh, we've actually done it through, we've used uh, what you see here as a NAT instance, and uh, we'll show you in the code, um, and what we're going to show you is the difference than what you're going to uh, get, um, you know, when you actually go and see the documentation online plus the, uh, plus the quick start that I mentioned earlier. Um, so we've... Um, deployed OpenVPN as part of the CloudFormation template um, and uh, established uh, basically a VPN connection between uh, net instance in region A with a net instance in region B. Um, one of a uh, couple of things that we've learned the hard way, <laughs> some things the easy way. Um, so uh, the, first of all, the bandwidth wasn't you know, initially uh, great and we were like, wow, what the hell is going on? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, um, um, th that was mainly because, um, and you know, honestly, figure it was the um, uh, TCP over TCP, um, uh, what's his name, re uh, retransmission uh, bug. I don't know if you guys are aware of it. I see some people nodding their head. Uh, we were using TCP over TCP, so uh, what we had to do is that we need to we needed to fairly kind of reconstruct and do some uh, network engineering. So uh, we configured uh, a TCP over UDP. And then, um, and also configured the, uh, the send and receive buffers, right, to optimize. Uh, that literally um, um, optimized our speed 20 times. <laughs> you know, so we'll see, we'll do some pings and stuff. Uh, right now, we'll show you how fast that is now and all that. Uh, another problem is um, uh, that. Um, uh, the DNS forwarders also got replicated. This is kind of, we found that out. It took us a while to figure out what, the ha what, what actually happened. Um, and because those are, you know, for the AWS DNS uh, on this side, it was configured to work with the private, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, IPs on this side. Uh, they were kind of, um, the, the, you know, the actual connection was fairly kind of, you know, intermittent, and there was a lot of issues. So, um, so what we did is that as part of the deployment, we included a PowerShell, uh, to go ahead and delete the DNS forwarders and recreate the proper ones for the for the zone B. Uh, so, <clears throat> so once all of that <laughs> was sorted out, everything everything was going very smoothly. Um, so, are you guys ready to see the demo? Yay! Let's switch over. 
First thing I wanted to show you guys um, is um, the reason why we have a console is so we can do demos like this, right? Nobody in their right mind works in a console, right? <laughs> Anybody working in a console? <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> but we love you, yeah, go on. Uh, <laughs> so this is the setup that, that we have. This is exactly what it goes out and creates. It creates redundant DCs, um, net instances, RDGWs, which is your remote desktop gateways, um, which effectively, for those of you that are probably wondering, uh, uh, bastion servers that allow us to um, go ahead and... Um, uh, you know, get into um, uh, respective servers and maintain them and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it does kind of uh, RDP over HTTPS into them and then uh, it connects um, with RDP um, uh, to respective servers. And then you can go to the other one. So this is our uh, North Virginia, the US East one region. And you can see uh, the, the, the exactly same environment, however, um, we've named it differently so that you can tell the difference between which one's which and all that sort of stuff. So this is DC3, DC4, NAT3, NAT4, uh, RDGW3 and 4, and, uh, and nodes 3 and 4. So let's go ahead and uh, let's show you first um, the, um, uh, yeah, the, the actual DNS. Uh, and uh, where we've actually updated the, the DNS forwarders. Um, and then let's go ahead and let's ping this guy and see what, uh, what do we get. So you can see we've done some tests already. We are on 75 milliseconds. Um, this is now between one side of the um, country continent to the other side, right? From, one, from US West to US East. Um, and um, um, we have had uh, literally, um, you know, it's been consistently always uh, under 100 milliseconds, right, which is pretty good, if you ask me. It allows for things like uh, stretched farms and SharePoint thing, you know, and, and a lot of other things that you normally wouldn't do. This is, this is a type of latency that some people don't get between their very close data centers, never mind other things. So um, I think this is pretty awesome. And then uh, let's show you how long um, it takes to actually copy. So um, we are just copying from uh, one region to another. Uh, this uh, SQL Server, it's a three gigabyte uh, file, right? And you can see it's going into 10, 8, 9, 10, 11. So that's uh, mega, uh, megabytes per second to put it in megabits, that's uh, times eight. So it's around 80, right? Uh, and um, if, you, if you look at that, that's if you divide it by, what, by uh, 1.5, we have uh, how many? T1s, yeah, 50 or so, some T1 connections <laughs> between the two, which is pretty impressive, right? Um, looking at that. So what do you guys say to that? Pretty good stuff, right? This is pretty, pretty fast, pretty performant VPN connection that we have going on uh, between the two regions. Okay. So let's get to the good stuff. So here we are. Uh, we are in a SQL Server availability group. Uh, and as you can see, we have uh, uh, configured WSFC node one, two, three, four. Uh, primary one is uh, uh, node one. Uh, I do have like a little laser here. Um, primary one is the node one, you can see, and we've uh, configured things like, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, 
two automatic failover mode. Yeah, yeah. So one in automatic failover mode, uh, one uh, in uh, manual. Actually, two in a manual. So two and three in a manual. These two. Uh, so WSFC node one is failing over to node three. So we can go ahead and simulate this. And you can see the synchronous and the asynchronous ones. Um, who knows how many uh, how many synchronous uh, can you can you have always on availability uh, group scenarios between how many nodes? How many synchronous nodes can you have? Three. Thank you. Good. And how many of those can have automatic failover? Well, one basically. Yeah. <laughs> So here we go. You can see we're failing over to WSFC node 3. So fun fact on that, with, uh, um, uh, with SQL Server 2016, which you can actually now use, we have uh, Windows 2016 with uh, SQL Server 2016 um, as part of our Emmys. Uh, uh, you know, you can build, you can go ahead and test out those instances. Um, with 2016, you can have actual three. So all the synchronous ones can actually have automatic failover. So that's one of the things that uh, 2016 uh, has as an improvement. Another thing that it has is um, you can create two separate always on availability clusters. You don't have to create them over the whole thing, and they're uh, uh, domainless. They, you don't have to worry about you know them being on the same domain. And then you can then create a always on availability group that can then fail over for one always on availability group in one domain to the always on availability group on the other domain. That's another thing uh, to consider around the new feature with 2016. Um, another thing is, uh, oh, here we go. We went over. Good stuff. We verified that uh, we are running. I think you need some uh, refreshing to do. We'll eventually get there, right? Um, and another, another thing to, um, to consider uh, in the past, depending on your, you know, um, on your version, you could do, you guys are familiar with fa uh, failover clusters uh, for, for SQL, right? So, uh, the, and what the difference is between always on availability groups. With failover clusters, they had shared storage, right? Whereas, you know, the actual data replication was happening uh, for, um, in always on availability groups, which is kind of an evolution what mirroring used to be. Anyway, you could actually do something similar in a sense that you had two always on availability groups and you could actually create a failover cluster between two of them and then uh, treat it, uh, um, treat that like two separate nodes, and then fail over between the two. But they have to be on the same domain and everything. Okay, so it's uh, it's still refreshing. Oh, we're failing back. Excellent. Oh, look at that. So we already failed over, and now we're failing back. Did you see that? That was literally in seconds. Wow. While I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, when your downtime amounts to this, you know, when your downtime. So the next thing would be just flipping over your uh, DNS record to go ahead and point, you know, uh, to to AWS or to a different region. Um, and just like this, as you can see, here we go. We're up and running. Just like this, you can then, you know, you can kind of deploy and create and fail over to additional regions and go on and on and on and on and on. Right? So, so this is exactly coming back to, uh, to, uh, to the actual diagram 
Um, right now, we failed over to, uh, from a, Region A to Region B. Um, I think our, our, our probably copying is also finished at the same time. Uh, you can check it out. Ah, it's almost, almost there. Yeah, you see it's going uh, up and down and coming. Um, thanks to us playing around with failing over twice from one region to another. Uh, but uh, we've uh, effectively failed over to region B and then uh, with a simple, like I said, um, either uh, enforcing the health rule check to go ahead and swap it over or actually just flipping over, um, you know, DNS or Route 53 in this case, um, we could have gone on this side. Otherwise, uh, uh, what we did, you know, a minute later was just fail over back to region A and, um, and, and that's it. Um, so... Um, this is fairly impressive, very, fairly fast way to actually do so. Um, some of the, um, um, I'm, I'm trying to think, I mean, if, um, if there's any specific gotchas besides the ones that we tell you, I mean, we can actually show you, go ahead, we can show them the, um, the actual code. Uh, so, um, for those of you that are um, um, probably familiar with, um, um, with the actual CloudFormation stack, um, this is where the resources where we actually um, um, uh, specifying what resources, and, and this is specifically, this is the EC2 instance for um, installing OpenVPN. You can see the config sets for uh, CFN in it. Uh, where we have install open, configure open VPN, start open VPN, and then we have also an update config set for uh, inst uh, to install VPN, configure open VPN, stop and start again. And uh, you can also show where we actually going ahead and uh, removing the DNS uh, server forwarders. Um, we have uh, yeah wait, wait completion and then afterwards adding the the new or proper DNS forwarders in this particular case. Um, so this is basically the add-on. This is the thing that is that you're not going to find um, you know in the script that is available outside, um, uh, but we will share it uh, eventually after uh, reinvent. Um, if you look at the actual uh, what it looks like, if you go to the quick start. So this is the quick start. You just go down to where the Microsoft Options uh, workloads are. And um, we can, you can just click on here, Deploy. And uh, here you can just download this specific. You can see that it's uh, specified in this uh, um, S3. Uh, however, if you go next, if you were to then use it, or um, you can see that uh, we have pre-populated some of the values to kind of make it easy for you. Uh, and uh, you have everything from specifying um, and configuring um, uh, uh, domain controllers, uh, configuring your SQL, uh, configuring, and you'll see also with, uh, with uh, um, uh, things like um, uh, CloudFormation templates for SharePoint and so on, it will be also for configuring SharePoint in, and all of that, um, to, for configuring uh, Windows Server failover cluster, um, and selecting particular nodes, you can go ahead and obviously change these to the, to the values that you need. Uh, this is an auto-generated form from the properties um, in the CloudFormation itself, and then um, you can use uh, uh, you can use that. Now we don't we didn't create one that kind of encompasses uh, both the region A and region B. Uh, we kind of manually um, um, 
created um, uh, or deployed first uh, this, um, uh, well, similar to this uh, cloud formation, um, and then uh, you know that also included the OpenVPN configuration, and then um, you know including the routing between over the VPN uh, between the two VPCs as well as the you know peering between two. Um, so that's that's literally it. I mean from um, from from the demo for what we wanted to show you, this is simply what we would like you to take home with you, um, and something that we would like you to test out and uh, and 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 see. Um, we encourage you, like I said, to do this also with um, enterprise workloads as well as your um, application workloads that you may have, any .NET applications and so on. Um, and um, I don't know. We can open it up. We do have some time. If you guys wanna, if you have any questions, uh, go ahead. Thank you very much to see the guys. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, if you if you want to come closer, do you mind? Yeah, yeah. So all of you that have questions, please come uh, come see us here. Thank you very much.